segments that we're doing is on uh, Frankie Son. Did, did you know Frankie Son? Know Frankie Son well. A life sentence of ministry in the prison. Do you have any stories of uh, Frankie in, in ministry? Or? How long you got? Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. I'm Justin Hall, joined as always by President of Palmetto Family, Dave Wilson. And Dave, we have released the first three parts of the Recidivism series, and on the heels of this podcast, we'll actually release the next two before the Christmas holidays, but we have special guests in the studio with us today. I want you to be introduced to to two guys who I have a, a deep, deep respect for. Uh, Scott Reeves and I have known each other for years. Our daughters dance together at South Carolina Christian Dance Theater in Columbia, uh, and, and we've been dance dads, but... It's kind of funny because Scott is like the philosopher. He's like the long beard, bald headed guy, and I'm the guy who does work in politics. And we have the greatest conversations over breakfast that really are are stimulating into a lot of the things that we actually have done here at Palmetto Family. And then Daniel Fisher with Fisher Films, artist artistry that you can't even begin to understand unless you watch the series, the recidivism series. You can get that on our app right now. Uh, these are app exclusives. You want to tell people how to get to those? You can get app exclusive looks at these. That's where you're going to find them. If you go to your Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, your Roku, your Apple TV, download the Palmetto Family Council app. When you do that, the recidivism series is on the front page of the app. You can't miss it. It's about third down. Uh, and when you click on that, it will take you to all. Now you're about to hear five stories. I've watched all five be prepared to just sit back and just take it all in. Uh, you can get that on the app. You can stream it on your device at home, or you can stream it on your phone either way, and it looks fantastic in any platform. This is this is binge-worthy watching uh, for, for your Christmas uh, time at home. I, I'd say, guys, what are we looking at? 40 minutes total? Th- five episodes. We did a total of almost 40 minutes. <clears throat> yeah, I, I bled yeah. over a little bit from that five-minute mark we were talking about. But you kind of had to. You had to. Well, the stories. So, 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 I want to back up real quick because Daniel was like, we were like, hey, we need to do five five minute episodes, and and I'm like, artistically, that's impossible. Um, Especially but, if you know me. Uh, if you know Daniel Fisher, you <laughs> hold it to five minutes. I can't do five minutes, but okay. But I want to rewind and Scott. Let, let's talk about how did we get to the point where we we put this together, and let's rewind all the way back to a conversation at IHOP. In Columbia. So, yeah, I work, uh, I teach adjunct, I work in an archives, and I teach in the prison in the summers for CIU philosophy. Um, and I came across in our archives this, these newsletters for this gentleman, Frankie Son, who's in the in the films. You'll, you'll see him in the opening. Um, and just intriguing story, and I said, this should be a film. And, and as I started trying to look into possibilities, and this um, I started looking at the possibilities about two years ago, and nothing opened up. Um, came across more information in the archives again this year, and it looked like there might be a little opening for doing some kind of film about Frankie's son. So it just happened to be having breakfast with um, Dave Wilson, and, and um, as I'm sitting there telling him about this potential film project, which I, which I was hoping to do, um, he texts Bob, McAllister and asked him, do you know about Frankie's son? And, and Bob texts back. I, I think they've told me it was all caps. The man is a legend. Oh yeah. Um, so it started this whole process of, um, you know, what, 
what can we do? Because um, if I remember right, we're sitting there and I hop and Dave's like, look, we're, we're wanting to do something about recidivism. South Carolina recidivism rates are great compared to those of the nation. I mean, South Carolina is 24%. South Carolina has one of the best recidivism rates in America. And just to explain recidivism, recidivism is this. If a person goes into the prisons in South Carolina, then recidivism is if when they get out, do they go back in within the first three years? That is a measure that you have right now because it is used across the board in, in most states to be able to say, have we done what we need to do to get that person rehabilitated to go back into society? In episode two or three, where we have a conversation with Brian uh, Sterling, the d- director of the uh, South Carolina Department of Corrections, he does a great job of explaining that. Uh, but our goal has been how do we rehabilitate those who are in prison so that when they come out, they have what they need to get back into society. And in comparison to a national average that's between, what, 50 and 70% of people return, South Carolina's rate at 24% is an amazingly strong number. But there's a lot of reasons behind that. And the story of Frankie San begins to tell that story. Right. Um, I mean, as far as even studies right now, official studies, sociological studies, there are three factors that contribute to improved recidivism. And two of those have to do directly with ministry. It's, it's ministry, faith, faith, ministry, and community inside the prison, and faith, ministry, and community outside the prison. Uh, the third one is jobs, which actually a lot of ministries help with. But those three things are what drastically change recidivism rates. So with Frankie, you saw this kind of pioneer, a gentleman who just was moved with um, a passion for the least of these. So let's rewind the story a little bit. Explain who Frankie son is from the, all of the archived data that you have there uh, <laughs> that you that you found at the seminary. So that people can understand there is a story behind the story behind the story right. of Frankie son and his involvement. So this, this um, gentleman... Um, I'm going to slaughter his Japanese name. Um, Kyozu Miyashi. Um, he's um, grows up in Japan, age 15, in World War II. He's in the Japanese army. He worships the emperor. Um, he's being trained to be like a um, on-the-ground kamikaze. Like, you young man, strap a bomb to yourself, and when you see an American tank, you run at it and blow up. That's what he's trained for. Um, and obviously doesn't ever use that, um, but actually kind of does in the prison, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, just that sense of being able to walk into total danger without flinching. I mean, that's, that's there in this, this very unassuming, friendly, cheerful man. He just seems to have no fear, but he, um, he had, he had lost all hope with the loss of World War II for Japan. He had worshiped the emperor, but the emperor failed. Tried to commit suicide. That didn't work. Walking down the road one day, hears a hymn being sung. Goes in, hears the gospel, becomes a Christian. Um, Various Christians that he meets from America help him come to the U.S. Um, He tries one Bible school, doesn't fit in there. And and the seminary, the the Lutheran seminary actually took him in. This is back in the the early 60s. Um, And he just had this tremendous, simple faith. Um, 
and and he would struggle with his classes. And uh, his, his roommate one time said, look, you, you've got to understand this. He said, look, I don't know this person. I don't know that person. I know Jesus. Right. And that was that was Frankie's faith. He, he took on this, this American name, Frankie's son, um, so that all of us wouldn't slaughter his Japanese name. <laughs> um, but he was was a man of a very intense but simple faith in this is who Jesus is, this is what he said. And one of the things he said was love the least of these. So one summer he's working um, at Angelo's on Main Street and these buses are going by. And he's like, what are these buses that are going by? And he finds out they're prison buses. So he starts taking his break to run out and bow to and wave to these prisoners on these buses. Because Japanese culture, a bow in a Japanese culture is a complete sign of deference and respect of honor really so he's basically right. saying i see in you jesus christ jesus said what you do for the least of these you do for me and that frankie believed it so he ran with it um started writing letters just doors opened for him he would he goes to back then it was cci which is downtown prison it's a little history. CCI is a central correctional institution. It was on the Broad River at the at downtown Columbia. So where the Broad and Saluda River comes together there in Columbia, uh, there's a there's apartment complex there now and a and a, a park. Uh, but that was it was a dungeon. I mean, it was it looked like I, I took a tour through it after they they decommissioned it. It looked like a medieval dungeon. In that place. I mean, you're talking cells that were six feet by eight feet by five feet, and it held three people in it at a time. And it was just, there are certain places that, I mean, forgive the language here, but it was a hellhole. And there was occasionally, as we walked through, there would be occasionally that one cell that was brightly painted where somebody had some sort of light of hope inside. But that was so rare at CCI. Yeah. And, it was also, oh, by the way, it was also the home of the electric chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, Frankie, doors open. He just started going in there. He got a job teaching. Uh, the, um, the director of prisons back then got some national funding to start doing education programs. So Frankie, um, with his very thick Japanese accent, is teaching these young men in prison how to write, how to read, how to do basic math. Um, and then eventually he becomes, they ask him to become the prison librarian and they set up this library in the middle of CCI. Um, I've seen footage of it in some, some films that we found elsewhere, um, and, and pictures of it. Frankie created this oasis in the middle of that prison. He had plants, he had parrots, he had rabbits, he had like all kinds of this menagerie of animals and books. And he would go through the prison with the book cart and, you know, um, that's what he did. And through as being the librarian, he really just um, ministered to these men, met these men, um, showed them love. And he actually lived somehow on the prison grounds. There was like a, a guardhouse or something that wasn't used, and they allowed him to live there. So he literally gave his life like 24-7 um, one of his lifetime friends called it a, a kind of a, a life sentence of ministry to the prisons. And that right there says everything. you. Know. I love the phrase that, that you had one of the guys who was interviewed 
said the, the phrase that Frankie San used to introduce himself was, my name is Frankie San. I love you. and Jesus loves you. He doesn't care what crime you've committed. He'll forgive you if you let him. <laughs> that is the epitome of everything in the gospel that we're called to do at the moment of the least of these. I mean, right. Daniel, when you, when you were putting this together, as you were, as you and your team at Fisher Films was working on this, and you're hearing this firsthand, what is that feeling for you when you were hearing these things said over and over from different people? Well, I remember <clears throat> that was Jimmy McPhee who said that too, and I remember multiple times watching, and this is real, like putting Jimmy McPhee's story together and just kind of crying, listening to it, especially those lines. Like I watched it the other day with my grandparents and I, was, I had to hide myself in the corner. When Jimmy McPhee says that line, I'm sitting there crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, don't let my grandma see me right now. <laughs> but I, can, I, can I honestly say, is this a good time to actually say that when Scott first told me, hey, there's this guy named Frankie Son and, and you know he's helped these uh, recidivism numbers that I had no idea what recidivism was. Did I tell you that then, or did I act like I knew what it was? Because I think I just acted like I knew what recidivism was. Well, and, that's, and it's a funny thing. So, so, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: this project, and and I will. We talk about people who invest in Palmetto Family. So, just before I came on board in January of this year, we had someone who had given a gift and said, "I want to do something about recidivism in South Carolina," and I'm sitting there going, "Okay, is that early childhood recidivism? So that we've got kids who are, you know." like going on to the next grade yeah. and not being held back. <laughs> and, and they were like, no, 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 no. This is, this is prison recidivism. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to wrap my head around this. So I called Brian Sterling. Brian and I are friends. I mean, he's the, he's the head of the Department of Corrections. And I call him and I, he's like, yeah, we've got, we've got some great programs. There's a lot of stuff that we do. So we sat down and had a conversation. I'm like, okay, so what do we do with this? And so folks at home, this is, or in the car, wherever you might be at the moment, this is one of those God moments where you sit there and you go, I was not expecting this. I go to breakfast at IHOP with Scott one day, and I'm expecting one of our usual, you know, philosophical discussions that really goes deep. And I'm like, you know, excited about this. Here, and Dave, read this 500-page book. He gives, me, he gives me these 500-page books. I'm like, dude, you, you've got to understand, if it's not in audio format in the abridged version, I'm, I don't read. Uh, so... Wait, do your do your conversations with Scott last about six hours? They do. Okay, I was wondering. I can typically go through two meals at a lizard stick it, um, and enough tea to float my you know float myself down the river. But when when we sat there and we had this conversation, the first person I thought about was Bob McAllister because you know Bob, I had worked with Bob for 15, 20 years. I had known him all the way back in the, the days when I worked for him in Carol Campbell's office, and Bob has been ministering on death row, and and Bob is 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 featured in several of the mm -hmm. episodes. Uh, but Bob has had a ministry on death row to death row inmates. It's so funny when the phone will ring sometimes, I'll be in his office and, and the phone will ring. He'll go, hold on, it's death row calling. And he'll stop and have these conversations wow. with these guys from death row who will call him just to talk. And you you realize, and I, I remember we sat there at breakfast and I'm going, okay, Frankie son, I think I've heard this guy's name before. So I text Bob and I go, ever heard of Frankie son? And Scott was right. I mean, it was, what, less than a minute? Yeah, he's a legend. And as we begin to unfold this, you see how God has been weaving together a heart for those who are in prison from an investor in the work that we do who said, listen, we've got to tell this story. And I'm sitting there going, how do we tell this story? I mean, how do we really bring a story to life? Because stats and a report are great, you yeah. know, but... 
for, for those of us who are storytellers for a living, stats can only go so far. I mean, 24% recidivism rate when the national average is 50 to 70 sounds, oh, that's great. Clap your hands. Yay. But when you begin to realize there's a story behind the story behind the story, and as Scott, you and I were talking about this, and you're like, well, I've got Daniel Fisher who's been, we, we've kind of talked through some ideas, and I was like, bring us all together, and let's see what, what goes on with this. And honestly, for those of you who are listening to this, this is how the body of Christ works. I do not understand what my pancreas does, okay? And my human body, I don't understand it. I don't understand how the liver works or the kidneys or anything like that. I do know, though, that if it's not working, there's a problem. But when it is working, it's an amazing demonstration of God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty was all over what we've done with this project. And to see what has come of it, it just blows my mind. I mean, Daniel, what is it when you think about the things that that you saw from that perspective? What did you not expect that you saw? Well, I mean, I I didn't know any of this, so it was all it was all new to me. But I kind of like what you were saying earlier, and, and me and Scott talked about this. Kind of the the thing that was the foundation of this whole series was Frankie Son's story, because as as a documentary filmmaker, someone who approaches you know narrative whenever I make something. Um, you're right. We looked at Cairo, CIU, Jumpstart, and as I was learning about, you know, they're great programs, but what's going to draw people in are the stories. And so what intrigued me are Frankie's son's story. Okay. And then how can we, we're going to, we're going to start the whole thing with Frankie's son. Okay. But how do we end it? And we had, me and Scott had multiple conversations about this and it was ultimately Scott's idea to kind of come on screen at the end and kind of wrap up the whole series was like, yeah, but if you want to understand recidivism, you look at Frankie's son's life. Like there's a living, there's a living example. And so that was the main thing. Like, how do we draw narrative out of this? And that was it. Look at Frankie's son, and you'll understand why recidivism in South Carolina is the way it is. Well, and and talking about God kind of being providential in this. So, you know, I mentioned I wanted to do something with this like two years ago, and nothing came together. Um, I had been teaching in NCIU's prison program in the summer, Jimmy McPhee, who you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? Jimmy's in most, I think he's in four of the five. He may be in all five of the episodes. But the thing about Jimmy, he was on death row, and then his sentence got reduced. He spent years in, in solitary confinement. Um, but Frankie led him to Christ some, you know, like 40 years, uh, like 20 years ago. Um, and Jimmy's been in every one of these programs that we've discussed. Well, when I knew we were going to do something about Frankie, I was back in my classroom in the prison, and I told the guys, hey, I think I'm going to get to do this project I wanted to do. Um and they said, you need to talk to Jimmy. I said, I know I taught Jimmy two years ago. I just don't know how I'm going to get a film crew in prison. And they said, oh, you haven't heard? Jimmy finally got parole after 40 some odd years. So here's the man I need to talk to that I didn't know how I was going to get a film crew into prison to talk to him. And God's brought him out of prison. <laughs> you know, it's just like, crazy. he's there. And he's, he's one of those kind of connecting elements through all of these stories. Um, so it's just really the, the narrative sense of it. Um, in his connection with, you're right, not only every ministry, but with Frankie's son. Yeah. So it weaves everything together. I mean, we couldn't have met anybody because Frankie retired 20, 20 years, years ago. ago? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, he's still involved in ministry. But he, keep in mind, folks, Frankie's son is 92 years old now. He was supposed to retire at the age of 65. They let him stay until he was like 72. So, you know, here, here's a guy who in his teens, was a world was trained as a World War II kamikaze 
um, on the ground guy in Japan who comes to America with the gospel that he has heard before he comes over here and goes into the least of these in a war zone that is prison to a group of people who some of them, I mean, let's be honest, some of them will probably look at him and go, I'd crack your skull if I could because they don't have the heart for the gospel. But he is like that slow drip that just comes back and comes back and comes back. And, you know, when Jesus says, I stand at the door and I love the phraseology that when it's when it says, I stand at the door and I keep on knocking. And that was Frankie's song. And that's where you have groups like Kairos, who's come through, uh, Jumpstart, this featured, the work that uh, Columbia International University is doing inside the prisons. I'm amazed at, you know, the people who are involved with Kairos, their recidivism rate is even better than than the state's average. The state's average is 24%. They're 14. Those who are invested themselves in learning and going through the educational program with Columbia International University, it's like the 99th percentile of, of success stories, like 3% of, of their folks end up back in the prison. That is an amazing, amazing statistic that shows how the gospel changes everything. Well, and... I mean, to think about CIU's program, the way they change, um, you know, the, the way they impact recidivism on, a, on another level. They're sending these men who are trained to be ministers into other prisons. They're not staying in the one prison. So the ones who don't get out, the ones who are on a life sentence or who are on a 40-year sentence, they're going to other, other prisons and changing the culture. Right, they're they're impacting the culture. They're bringing the gospel as kind of missionaries in prison, you know. So, what does that do? That's that's a that's a thing that you can't measure. You're you gonna... no, you can't. You, you think about it from that standpoint, and you go, "This is truly." Let's let's go back to the Great Commission. All right, your Great Commission capability when you're in a prison. Let's just be honest. You're you know from from here from Jerusalem to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. You sit there and go. Well, your Samaria is not that big, really, and your 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 outermost parts of the world are kind of limited to when you're inside a prison wall. But when you take the gospel that you have heard here and you transfer to another prison, and you take a true mentality of I am there to serve my time, but I am there to disciple the people that I'm around, the root effect of that just spreads itself out, and we go back to the stem that was a guy who was working at a chicken restaurant on Main Street takes a break to go and bow down and and in honor of prisoners riding by on a bus that's the story of Frankie son and i think you know if if you have not had a chance to download the app and take a, and and watch this series please do so uh, share it with those folks in, who are in your church. Share it with other ministry groups that you're a part of. Share it with your friends and neighbors because this is a place that really, and, I, and I'm going to give total deference over to, to Daniel for the artistic way that his docus, this docuseries really just is a beautiful story because you can see through it how the gospel is taken into a into a place where the gospel is desperately needed and how it changes and impacts lives. 
because I, I think did you expect that kind of impact when you first started looking at this, Daniel? Um, <clears throat> no, probably not. I think I'd approach this from, like I said earlier, I really have no idea what recidivism was. I was like, okay, Scott's talked me into this project again, so let me start looking at this footage and let's go interview these people. But, I mean, Frankie's son's story is incredible. And I, it's... it's Well, one of the things that Daniel and I have talked about is, is and, and I was talking to my kids about this, is, you know, we want to share the gospel. And I grew up being taught, you know, you got to witness, you got to witness. And you get taught all these kind of... Mm-hmm methods for witnessing right and i always stunk at them i just i'm just horrible at it right um and i always felt kind of because you hand people 500 page books well, well, no, okay. just, <laughs> but just you know you you know the things like and nothing against them but things like the four spiritual laws or all these kind of kind of evangelism you got to go do evangelism but to realize to realize witnessing is storytelling and i like storytelling and you watch the story of Frankie's son. I mean, Daniel and I are continuing to work right now because we're trying to create a, a about a 45-minute documentary of Frankie's son's story in and of itself to take to a film festival. Because if people watch this, people who don't know the Lord, they're going to see the gospel on the screen. And they're not going to go away saying, oh, that was a Christian movie that preached to me. right? They're going to go away saying, Wow, that's an incredible story. But what's that incredible story about? Frankie was just a man who wanted to be like Jesus that saw Jesus in the least of these. And that's a powerful, that's witnessing. That's and that, the gospel. And that's the gospel, and it inspires so much. I mean, I, a conversation I had with Bob McAllister talking about this and and how people going in with the gospel, you watch this and you go, wait, I, I can actually do something here. There's a place where I can see my place of involvement. If it's just to know exactly how to pray, that is just a, a, an amazing, amazing. Well, if a guy thing. who can barely speak English can do all that, you know, what can we do? Exactly. I think that's what you get. I mean, that's when I watch it, that's what I get out of it, and I feel convicted. You're like, holy crap, this guy. And the parrot couldn't speak English either. <laughs> the parrot couldn't speak English either. <laughs> you have to watch episode one to get that yeah. one. But, you know, I, I think when we look at the impact that the story of the gospel can make. This is just a phenomenal example of that. And y'all have done a great job of, of making this into something that really steps out of a usual uh, place when we talk about things like prisons and recidivism and makes it real. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the important part. And that's and it's a great point. If you haven't seen these parts of this docu series, the recidivism series, you can do so on the Palmetto Family Council app. Simply download it on your Apple, your Android, your Roku, your Apple TV, wherever you stream, you can find it there. And it's binge worthy because it's only going to run you about forty minutes total, uh, which is plenty of time. Plenty of shows last longer than forty minutes, so feel free to watch it. You can binge it within an hour, and then you can go finish up your Christmas shopping, which you need to get done if you haven't done so already because you're running out of time. There are a lot of other places that you can get involved too, and we will have links to different ministries on the Recidivism Series page on the Palmetto Family Council app and on the website so that you can understand how to get involved with groups like Kairos, how to get involved with groups like Jumpstart, with Prison Fellowship, with things like the Angel Tree. I mean, Angel Tree is a a prime example of a, a tangible way that you as a believer in Jesus Christ can minister to the needs of the children of 
people who are in prison. Our incarcerated folks can't go and get Christmas presents. And a lot of times their kids don't have Christmas because mom or dad or mom and dad are behind bars. But there is a place where you can be the hands and feet of Jesus, the gift wrapper of Jesus in, in a situation to be able to provide something for them. So as, as gentlemen, as y'all think about the takeaway, the big takeaway that you had as you look at this, there's a lot of stuff that got left as we call it back in the old film day. A lot of stuff got left on the floor. Uh, what are some of those things that you wish that you could have found a way to fit in there? And I'm excited for the fact that you're actually doing a longer version of the documentary. I'd love to hear more about what what got left out and what are you looking to do with the next round? You probably have a better idea of what, what else should be there. But I will say the one thing for me, what, and we talked about it extensively with episode one, is was the rest of Frankie's son's story because his you talked about his devotion to the emperor, what he, you know, his World War II experience, like we didn't delve into any of that, which I thought was really interesting in how he came into a Lutheran mission and, and got here. I mean, that's an incredible story also. That's not even touched on in this. Yeah, I mean, his, his just his personal story, going back to um, his days in Japan, how he got here, some of that I'm still trying to track down. Another side of it, something we didn't touch on at all. So he retires at 72, right? 72... It would have been in the 90s, CC, um, well, the early 2000s, right? So, um, but one of the things that kept him in ministry um, before he retired and even ministry right after he retired is um, in the 90s when AIDS hit the prisons, right? When AIDS hit, everybody was terrified of AIDS. How do you get this? If you get it, you're dead. I mean, that was the, that was the understanding. Um, you know, can I get it from breathing? Can I get it if you, you know, get a little bit of slobber on, it comes across the table onto my straw as you're talking. You know, I mean, so people were terrified. And um, you had these men in, in prison who had AIDS, and they were all kept together. They ate together. Nobody wanted to be around them. Where does Frankie go? He walks in there. He sits down in the cafeteria with them. He eats with them. He ministers to them. He goes into the AIDS ward. He takes care of them when they can no longer eat. I mean, he's buying them milkshakes and feeding them. Um in, in hospice care, things like that. He just, if someone was totally destitute and totally lost, he just showered them with the love of Christ. And he had no fear. Um, so that part of his story, I mean, that's we didn't even touch on that. So we're, we're trying to find connections for that and see if we can meet people who were, who were familiar with his work there um, in, in later life. So those two parts of his story, um, you know, those, those were important. Um, I think one of the other things, like one of the other things that, that got left kind of on the floor, just for the sake of you know, talking about the art, you, you want this to be artistic. You want people to be drawn in and inspired by the, just the kind of the beauty of the story. Um, I would encourage people to go to the website as you put things up on what they can do, because there is more about what you can do. Um, you may even want to, I don't know if you would want to or not, but Brian Sterling in talking, right? He um, basically talked about Christians may want to try to get a job in the Department of Corrections. Um, it's a hard place, but your job could be a ministry. People of integrity and love, I mean, if you're a person with integrity who's firm but loving, you know, that that's needed, um, you can impact prisoners' lives. You, you, um, 
people with hope, people with the light of the gospel inside them. Um, and, and things that the other ministries talked about, you know, going to those ministry websites and seeing how can you give, how can you share, how can you volunteer. Um, that's, that's, you know, you can't put all those details in a docuseries because no, that's, that's going to get real dull. <laughs> well, but, but it's, it's a, it's beautiful and important and it matters. So, so looking into that, th- those are the things that, you know, you kind of like, oh, I wish we could stick that in there, but. Well, some of that too is is leaving it open, like a little mystery, so people can go explore those websites. Because we talked about that too. Is you know there were a lot of details. Sorry to those ministries, we left some of your details out, but we did that for a reason because we want people to well, go visit. It your whets website. their appetite. Yeah, exactly. It, it 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 entices. If you feel enticed to to go and learn more, by all means, let the spirit lead you and, and right. click on the links there. Learn more about them. See exactly what's there for you to be able to to invest yourself. If you like what you saw, we would appreciate your investment because there are more stories that need to be told, not only on recidivism. Daniel and I were talking about this on the way in. We've been working on the issues of adoption and foster care in South Carolina, the opioid crisis that's going on in our state and the impact that that has on the lives of people. How do you get out of addiction? How do you deal with addiction? And things along those lines. So... I take everything back to this. We talk about being the cultural guardrails of South Carolina, and it is not simply because you feel like, you know, we're driving off the cultural cliff. The cultural cliff, the cliff is there. Sin is there. It is so easy to lose control and fall off the cliff. And if you don't have the guardrail there, then so often there, there are so many places where people are hurt and lives are impacted. This is a place where you can be a reflector on the guardrail, reflecting the light and love of Jesus where God has you. So please take the time, download the app, watch the series, share it with your friends and your family, invest in the work that we're doing here at Palmetto Family, because this is how we help to shape and share the culture of South Carolina, to be able to tell the story of Jesus Christ, to let the gospel truly change everything. A real quick programming note, with Friday being Christmas Eve, we will not be having a Palmetto Family Matters podcast. You will not get to hear our rendition of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, unfortunately, but we will be back on the Tuesday after Christmas to join you there as we continue talking about the issues that we are facing across the Palmetto State. For Dave Wilson, thank you, Daniel and Scott, for joining us today, and we will talk to you after Christmas. Have a very Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas.